Parenting is one of the greatest responsibilities that anyone could ever be called to. As Christians, what's the right way to do it? In this message, learn how to raise our children up to be the young men and women God intends for them to be. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 4. And it says in verse number 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's right. Here's what he's saying. Children, obey your parents in the Lord as though, as though you're obeying the Lord, for it's the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment. Paul is making emphasis there. This is the first commandment with promise. In other words, he's saying when God gave commandments, this is the first one. This is the one in rank and order. He's trying to draw their attention. And it comes with a promise. Well, what's the promise? That it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath contrast, then what should I do? Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We are in a series entitled Raise Them Up, Parenting in a Hectic World. And this is the fourth message, obviously, in this. And I thought we would finish it in four. We'll probably go two or three more, and then I'm going to speak to teens, uh, parents of teenagers after that, um, and uh, then, then we'll move on. But in saying all of that, I believe that it is imperative that we understand God's design and purpose and pattern for our homes. The truth of the matter is this, raising kids is not easy. It's not easy. If you think it's easy, it's just because you haven't done it yet. Or you, you're, you're kind of like that guy that says, I'm going to run marathons. They're easy. Well, you, 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 you've just not put the work in yet. You, you, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of effort. There's a lot of labor. There's a lot of uh, broken hearts. And there's some parents with older kids in here, and you're like, oh, man, what I wouldn't give to, rape, to have my kids as, as toddlers again during the easy days. How many have kids in their, their late teens, early 20s, and you're thinking like, man, when they were two, three, four, five, that was so much easier than having absolutely no authority in their life, and now all I have is influence, and I'm trying to help them. Anybody that's older that can identify with me, like, it was a lot easier back in the day than it is, than it is now. If you were to take your Bibles, and I'd ask you to do so, turn over to Judges, don't lose your place in Ephesians, but turn over to Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13, the Bible says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zoar of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren, and bare not. She couldn't have kids. And the, angel, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold, now thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine or strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. 
For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God, very terrible or, or very shocking. Uh, but I asked him not whence he was, neither told me his name. But he said unto me, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and now drink no wine or strong drink, neither eat anything, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah, the husband, entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, let the man of God which thou didst send come again to us, and notice this phrase, and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. That should be the prayer of every parent. God, teach me what I should do to my, with my children that shall be born. God, help me with my children. I, I think sometimes we get work-oriented and, and we focus on the, the tasks that are at hand. And, 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 and if we're not very careful, we become very process-oriented, even in our children, even in raising our children. And we see a great admonition in this text this evening, and that is, God, help me, teach me, tell me what I shall do unto this child that shall be born. God, I need your help to raise this child for you. You can't raise kids effectively apart from the grace and the help of the Lord. I mean, it's impossible. I mean, you could, you could raise kids that can breathe when they're adults. They might even make decent decisions, but they'll never accomplish all that God wants them to have. And they'll never do all that God wants them to do. I believe parents need to continuously go to the Lord and entreat Him. And I'll tell you, as, as I've studied, restudied, studied again, added, taken away the principles of parenting in a hectic world and, and talked about it and thought about my own daughters and, and uh, their needs, I can tell you this, I'm coming to grips with the reality that I have a far greater need of prayer and a far greater need to lift my children up before the Lord than another new trick or another new technique or another new thought. I have to hold my children before the throne of God. I believe with all my heart, most parents want what's best for their kids. I really believe that. I don't think you came tonight to be yelled at like, you're a loser. You don't care about your kids. No, obviously, you care about your kids. That's why you're here. You love them, I, I hope, as a general rule. They, not always easy, but you love them. I want to talk to you tonight about this subject back in Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 4. I want to talk to you about this subject of having goals for our children. Having goals for our children, the kind of goals that we're supposed to have. I read a story uh, today about a lady named Karen Caitlin, who was a top toddler beauty queen of the 1960s. Her mother had been a child pageant princess in the 30s and decided that her daughter Karen would follow in her patent leather footsteps. 
Karen's mom was a quintessential pageant mom. She would dress her daughter in frilly dresses, heavy makeup at a young age. Karen's mom was very body conscious, forcing her daughter to eat a very limited diet. Left her starving for both attention and food. Karen uh, tells a story. It's quite compelling. She said, I didn't know I hated the pageants. I thought I loved them. Just as my mom had said that I love them. You ever have a parent? I don't know if you ever have, but I have parents tell me how much their kids love stuff and their kids just kind of stare at me. Oh, my kids just love pageants. My kids just love doing this. I, I don't know that that's always the case. I don't know that it's not the case. I'm just saying when parents constantly are telling me that and the kids are just staring, sometimes I begin to wonder. Karen said, I didn't know how much I hated the pageants. I thought I loved them just like my mom said. I didn't find out until my body told me at the age of 16 that I hated them. Then, of course, it took many more years to figure out. Karen, who has a master's degree in social work, has written about her experience in a good in a book called Fat Lash. It's the first book to describe what can happen to a toddler beauty queen and serves as a cautionary tale for those who place their children on the child pageant circuits. So the question is asked, this is the question that is asked. This is by Psychology Today. It was an article in Psychology Today. So why would Karen's mom and so many other parents place their children in a potentially harmful glitz pageant circuit? Now, this is what the world says. They're not exactly going to the Scripture to find their guidance. But listen to what they say. The answer lies in a condition known as achievement by proxy distortion. Achievement by proxy distortion, or what psychologists call ABPD. It occurs when the adult's pride and satisfaction are achieved when supporting their child's development and abilities. A benign APB coaches parents and others involved adults actively cheer on the child and provide emotional support and reasonable financial support, just being a normal parent. But then there are parents who take that to a gross state of tying their own well-being to their kids. And it's not just beauty pageants. It can be children in sports. It can be children in academics. It can be children in just about wood carving. I don't know. It can be anything where the parents' uh, well-being or self-worth, as we talked a little bit about it this morning, are tied to their children. And I think that that is a, a, um, uh, a issue that needs, as parents, we need to look at that from the Word of God. These are, number one, unbiblical goals. Unbiblical goals. Many parents want their children to be successful. They want them to do well. They want them to live a happy, comfortable life. I mean, so many parents just say, I I don't care what my kid does as long as they're happy. This view of success has different shapes and definitions and different people have different things as to what's successful. We simply want our children to live a happy life. We want our children to do well financially. Can I tell you that's probably not the goal you should have for your kids. I don't know how many parents I've seen get upset when their children refuse to take a position or turn down a position that might compromise their financial well-being. And parents are like, we don't know what to do. He turned down a job and he would have made X number of dollars. She would have made X number of dollars. And, and all they're doing now is trying to be a missionary. 
And they could have made so much money. I remember I was a youth pastor. I was a grand old age of 22. Wise beyond my seconds. And I, I took a youth group, and the youth group had a lot of, well, let's just say very, very tough kids from very bad parts of town. I'm firmly convinced I was selected because I could fight. It was not my godliness, I can tell you that. But we would preach, we'd have a good time, it was an awesome experience. And, and I remember uh, this girl in our youth group was very, very committed to the cause of Christ and really, really wanted to be a missionary and felt called of God to be a missionary. And her parents were very well off, very well off. Her grandparents were were very, very well off, if you will. And and um, she told her parents after youth camp one year, God's called me to be a missionary. And her parents tried to talk her out of it, talk her out of it, talk her out of it. Then she went to her parents and she said, I want to go to Bible college and I want to prepare for the mission field. And I want to marry a husband if God allows it for me to be a missionary. And if not, I'm just going to go to the mission field on my own. And her parents said this, if you go to Bible college, we'll not give you a dime. We won't help you and you can't live in our house. But if you'll go to UCLA, and she was fast-tracked into UCLA, if you'll go to UCLA, we'll buy you your dream car. We'll pay for your college. We'll give you a stipend every month. We'll give you everything that you have ever wanted if you'll simply go to UCLA because we're not going to have a poor missionary as our daughter. You say, what'd she do? A teenager under that kind of pressure at home, not just that, but she's living at home under that constant pressure, chose to do what her parents wanted, it to, wanted her to do. And I'm thankful she's not like in jail or anything, but she's not living her life for the purpose that she was called. She's making a lot of money today, but her, her life doesn't have the value or the meaning that it would have had. And money makes wings, the Bible says, and flies away. She's laying up treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. So her parents had, and, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily say that making money is sinful. It's certainly not. The love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. I think you ought to make as much money as you can because then you can give a lot more so more people can hear the gospel. I wish some of our young men would be very entrepreneurial and entrepreneurial and start businesses and take big risk and, and, and do everything that you can to accomplish great things for the cause of Christ. I mean, I mean, accomplish great things for Christ. What are some unbiblical goals? We're just going to talk about them for the next 20 minutes. Number one, the development of special skills. The development of special skills. Some parents involve their children in a broad range of activities. They hustle from basketball to football to hockey to soccer to gymnastics to piano lessons to debate teams to physics teams. And there's nothing inherently wrong with any of these. They have their place in a child's life. But it is the measure of the parent, the number, when the measure of the parent's well-being becomes the numbers of activities provided for the child so that the child can be well-developed, so that the child can, look at how many things my kid does. Look at how many things they're able to do. This will get them into college. That will get them into college. And we're constantly forcing these skills on our children. That's when it becomes unbiblical. Will involvement of these activities have biblical content? Will they receive biblical instruction about their self-image, about sportsmanship, about loyalty, about poise or endurance, perseverance, friendship, integrity, 
rights, treating people correctly, competition, respect for authority. I remember as a kid lessons that I learned. And I had developed a skill on the basketball court of flopping. Um, uh, if you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm known as being a little bit dramatic at times. And I really worked at this skill to try to flop and get the other team in foul trouble. And I was just excited about it. And so I told my dad, like, hey, dad, did you see me flop out there? That guy got a foul. And, did it. and I thought my dad would be so proud of me. And I'll never forget, my dad pulled me away from my mom. And his, whenever my dad pulled me away from my mom, I knew something bad was about to happen. And he pulled me away from my mom. He said, let me explain something to you. You ever flop, that's the same thing as a lie. You ever flop again, I will walk out of the stands. I will grab you by the jersey. And I will kick your tail the whole way home. He said, would he have done it? I don't know, but I sure believed him. And I, I did not want to chance Gerald walking out of the stands and beating me. Because I knew then if he did that, Arlene would take that as a free opportunity. And she'd be all over me too. I mean, I, 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 you'd say, what did your dad teach you? My dad taught me a principle in that moment that has lasted with me for the rest of my life. I'm not going to lie to get ahead a little bit. I'll still take some fouls. I'll, I'll, I'll do the right thing. Poise. I can remember caving in a game one time and going home and being super disappointed in myself and discouraged. And my dad pulled me aside and he helped to teach me poise. I can remember endurance, wanting to quit in the middle of some difficult sporting events. My, my, my skill set was related to sports. They didn't really ask me on the debate team or singing. Um, and and I, I I had po- I was I was taught poise I was taught friendship. There's times when the point guard every point guard should have their leg broke. They're all selfish and don't give guys in the post the ball quickly enough. And and I was taught how to have friendship with people that were stupid. If you played basketball, you know that I'm telling the truth there. Um, but I was I was I was taught some some things. But I, I I want us to be careful that we understand your children having all the skills in the world, it, it doesn't make them a well-rounded person. Well, they they've got to have this skill. They got to have that skill. They've got to get this. They've got to get that. You know, sometimes they just got to get what God has for them. And some people want their kids to develop just special. Special skills, and I'm not against it. Don't get me wrong. My daughters um, played sports growing up. They were in singing teams. They did debate, but we weren't overloading them with that to the point where nothing was fun anymore. We wanted them to enjoy life. We wanted their teen years to be fun. I didn't want them to hate their teen years. I mean, it's hard enough raising girls. If you have girls, please say amen. It's hard enough raising girls just because they're girls. I don't know why God has done that, but it's, it's what it is. And I didn't want them hating life. We were trying to have an enjoyable life, and we wanted well-rounded young people. Psycholo- or, or, uh, special, the development of special skills. Number two, psychological adjustment. Some parents are driven to make sure their kids are well-adjusted. 
They're driven by the vivid recollection of their own childhood. They're preoccupied with making sure that their children do not face the same turmoil. And let's be honest, some of you had really rough childhoods. You really did. There was some, if you will, if I could be so bold, and I'm just, I, I don't know specifically, but I'm just assuming in a crowd this size, without knowing everybody's background, there's, there's some real hurts. There's some real challenges. There's some, there's some difficulties in life. Some people were ridiculed and mocked and made fun of and, and, and all of that. And, and you just don't want that for your kids. And I don't think that's a, that's a bad desire. I don't think that's a, uh, that's a bad goal. But when it becomes the objective, that's when it becomes a difficult thing. Books and magazines pander to these parents these books promote the latest pop psychology and they teach how to build self-esteem in your children. Have you noticed that there's very few books ever written on how to esteem others? Well, that's the biblical command. You really want joy. Learn to esteem others. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind or humility of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. God's really been provoking me. I don't understand when people get in a car why they drive so poorly. I'm like, why do you drive so bad? Why are you such a bad driver? I think God's been working on me. He's like, Chris, you don't know what they went through today. That person could have just got diagnosed with a life-threatening illness. That person might have just lost their job. They could have just lost a loved one. This is God speaking to me. Why don't you esteem others better than yourself? I have found out in my life that when I esteem others better than myself, I'm really acting like Christ would have me to act. But we, we live in a world where we want kids to win at everything. Can I let you in on something? Not everybody can win at everything. I know that Hollywood tries to promote that, but that's garbage. Not everybody can win. It, 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 well, today's Selection Sunday, second greatest Sunday of the year, no doubt about it. We get church and basketball. Oh, praise the Lord. But you ever watch a game? of like the Sunbelt Conference. Anybody know about the Sunbelt Conference? Anybody at all? Like four people know about the Sunbelt Conference. But you see people in the Sunbelt Conference and they won the tournament and they're like yelling, we're number one. No, you're number 67. And if truth be told, you're probably more like number 267. You just played against a lot of weak teams that you were able to beat and we just let you in the tournament and you're like the weak uncle at the, at the family barbecue. We only really let you there because you're related to us. You're not really number one. Everybody's got to be number one. Everybody's got to be a winner. I, I, I tire of, uh, of that mindset. I think you do as well. Uh, this, this idea that I've got to constantly be the best. We need to teach our children that to function in God's economy and God's kingdom, they need to serve others in order to lead, in order to stand in opposition to the world, the, the, the world that we live in. They need to lead by serving. I mean, Jesus said, said it this way, he that is greatest among you, let him be your servant. People will sometimes say, well, I don't think I should have to dirty my hands with that. I'm above that. 
To the Christian, we're not above anything. We're not above anything. There's nothing that we're above. And, and by the way, your, your child is going to be adjusted well if they're very, very comfortable just serving. Just serving, being happy, serving people. Well, I don't want my child to get stepped on. I don't want anybody to look at them that way. Stop for a second and think that way about Jesus. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Was Jesus adjusted? Oh, I think so. Was Jesus confident? Oh, I think so. Was Jesus in close relationship to God? Obviously. Did he enjoy the peace and contentment that God brings through his spirit? Yes. Yes, he did. Number three, or letter C, saved children. There are many parents here, I'm sure, and all over the world that simply want their children to say the sinner's prayer. They just want their children to be saved. They take little Buford to church. They read Buford gospel tracts. They, they talk to him about uh, the gospel all the time. They, they have him talk to the Sunday school teacher. They have him talk to the pastor. They have him talk to the assistant pastor. They have him talk to an usher. They find a greeter. They have him talk to him. They just find people off the sidewalk. Talk to my child about Jesus. I've had, these are the exact words I've had more than a few parents tell me. He just needs, we just need to get him saved. And that becomes the objective. They're of the opinion that if he would get saved, then everything would be okay. Parents, may we remember and understand that knowing our children are saved does not guarantee that they will become all that God wants them to be. Many times that because the parent was the, the parent gets saved out of a life of sin and the parent gets saved out of a life in the world and, and it was such a watershed moment for them and it, it changed everything. But the child grows up in a Christian home and, and the child really doesn't have the scars of the world in their life and all they've known is a Christian culture and, and that's all that, that, that they've ever been around and people are like, I just my child just needs to get saved. Well, number one, you can never know with absolute certainty whether your child is saved. You can never know with absolute certainty that your child is saved. Just because they're saved doesn't mean that everything's going to be okay. You, you can't always know. You can't know that. Why? Because, because the truth of the matter is... <laughs> Salvation is an issue of the heart, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You can confess things with your mouth that your heart does not believe. Watch. You ready? Taco Bell is good. Oh. I love Taco Bell. Those soy bean burritos. They just go right through you. They make you all warm and fuzzy inside. I mean, it's like caffeine. You eat them, they'll keep you up all night. Matter of fact, matter of fact, Taco Bell is so good that you eat one burrito, you'll taste it for days. You taste it for days. I I could say that all day long. I could say it with conviction. 
I could give you 37 reasons why Taco Bell is better than Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. But I will never believe that for a second. You can profess Jesus Christ and not be saved. Matter of fact, we try to be super, listen to me clearly, we try to be super careful here at Canyon Ridge when dealing with children. There's not a four-year-old in our church that I couldn't lead to Jesus Christ tomorrow. There's also not a four-year-old in our church that I couldn't convince to believe in UFOs tomorrow. They still believe in Santa Claus. I remember one time I said that years ago when we were still in the rec center, and there was a 10-year-old girl in the church that started crying, and after the service, her parents came up to me, and they were very upset. They're like, our daughter thought Santa Claus was real. And they're like, you just told her that he's not. And I looked at them and said, she's 10. They're like, yeah, we were waiting until the right time. No, she's 10. The right time was like one. And they're like, you think one? Yeah, well, there's two reasons why. Number one, stop lying to your kids. Number two, you need to take credit for the gifts. I want credit for those gifts. I don't want some fanciful character up at the North Pole, he and Mrs. Claus and all these little elves. Good movie, bad idea. I don't want them getting any credit for anything. Two things kids should think should know is true. Jesus and the tooth fairy. You never know with absolute certainty your kid is saved. Number two, a child's profession of faith doesn't change the basic issue of child rearing. A child's profession of faith doesn't change the basic issue of child rearing. Let me say two things. I'm going to go back to the salvation for a second. We want to be very careful that, that we don't that we don't try to do the work of the Holy Spirit when witnessing to our children. Almost every child that I know can give at Canyon Ridge, by the time they're six, six, seven years old, can give all of the answers as to why they should be saved. All the answers. And parents are like, Pastor, they had the answers. They had the answers. You... you, you Number one, you can't keep your kids from believing on Jesus Christ. Let me give you a little soteriological lesson, issue of salvation. The sinner's prayer doesn't save your child. It's belief in, the, your, in their heart that saves the child. It's belief in the heart. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, we do that by way of prayer. You can't get saved without praying, but you don't get saved by praying. Do you understand the difference? You can't get saved without praying, but you don't get saved by praying. So we want to be very, very careful with children. We want to to talk for long periods of time. We want to make sure they're saved. But by the time a kid is 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, that's probably a great time for them to be saved. Some parents uh, almost treat it like there's an old debate of like lordship salvation. And lordship salvation basically says this, before you can get saved, you've got to be good. You don't get good to be saved. You get saved and then the Holy Spirit makes you good. 
There's a big distinction between the two. I, 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 now listen, I'm not a, there, that big debate has a negative side to it as well called easy believism. You say, what's our position at Canyon Ridge? We're right in the middle of the road. The Holy Spirit of God convicts you, warns you, challenges you, and you need to put your faith and trust in Christ alone. And you need to do that as, as whenever that conviction happens, you need to do it at an early age. But I wouldn't put off and discourage the steps of, of spiritual development that my children have. If, if my kid was seven or eight years old and wanted to pray and ask Christ to come into their heart and to save them, I want them to do that. You say, well, what if they have to do that again later? I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing to do it later as there's, there's what we call progressive illumination, not progressive revelation. All that's been revealed is in the Word of God. But we begin to see things more and more and more and more the older that we get, the longer that we go. And so if you're a child here today and you're not sure that if you died, heaven would be your home, you need to talk to your parents, to your pastor, to your Sunday school teacher. You need to make sure that you are saved. You say, well, I prayed that prayer once, but I'm still uneasy. Listen, we're totally comfortable with you praying that prayer 15 times if that's what it takes for you to have confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. But we want you to understand emphatically that once you're saved, you're saved forever. You're saved forever. We don't want to rob you of that opportunity. And parents are like, I'm not going to let my kid do it until they're totally serious. Come on, you're talking about kids. How will you ever know? I'm not trying to be funny. How will, literally, how will you ever know? I was a youth director for eight years. I've been a pastor now for almost 20, so 28 years. I worked with kids and teens for years before that. First time I ever served in a church, I was watching the nursery at 12 years old. It was a different world back then. I used to have races to see how fast I could change diapers. They were graduated on a level from the really bad ones to the really good ones. The really good ones, I got down to like 10 seconds. Totally, completely done. 10 seconds. And you say, how was it when you handed them to the parents? I have no idea. My mom came in and fixed them all. So... <laughs> So I've been, I mean, a long time, 38 years, I've been working with people, primarily teens and children, and uh, especially in the early years. And, and, and I'll tell you this, parents, sometimes your kids, um, they have some doubts that if you're not careful, I'm getting a little bit off script and I'm happy to do it. If you're not careful, you'll discourage their walk with God because of your own personal embarrassment. I don't want everybody to think that, that they just, they don't know what they're doing when they ask Christ to save them. It might just be progressive illumination. I was baptized, I prayed, and I believe I was sincere. I was sincere at five years old, and I grew up in a little different church tradition where as soon as you, you know, you ask questions, you prayed and ask Christ to save you. I was, I was saved, I think, at five. I, I prayed, and I prayed again at six. I prayed again at eight. I liked the baptistry, so once I found out I got to get baptized all the time, I just started trying to get in the water. I'll do whatever it took. And sometimes even now, I'll just come in and baptize myself, just jump in the water normally in the summer months, and I just enjoy it. And so, um, but, but that was just kind of the story of my life. And I was thankful that my parents never treated me as though I was bizarre or weird. You say, when did it stick with me? June 16th, 1983, as a 10-year-old boy. I knew at that day that I was truly saved. 
never ask Christ to come in my heart again. Uh, though Philippians says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, I wanted to be very, very careful as to, as to how I did so, uh, or as to eternal security. But, but parents, encourage your kids to take steps of faith for Christ. But understand, simply because they're saved doesn't mean that, that the questions, the struggles, and the challenges are all over. They're not. It doesn't change the basic issue of, of child-rearing. I'm going to give you just these quickly. Letter D family altar. It's a family altar. Some people are so in, enthralled with a family altar. They want to sit down and have a few songs or however they do it and read the Bible. And I think that's good. But having a family altar is not the make or break point for your children's life. Matter of fact, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 7 says, thou shalt teach them diligently the ways of God is what it's being referred to. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. I don't think I quoted that uh, perfectly, but you get the idea that talking about the things of God is to be an everyday function in the home. Not simply five minutes before breakfast or 10 minutes after the evening meal or whatever. And there's abs- I absolutely love it. It's not an either or issue. You ought to do both. Did you hear me? You ought to do both. Uh, we all have regrets in parenting. And one of my big regrets is that I didn't put enough emphasis on a family altar in my home. We did it but I didn't put the right amount of emphasis on it that I should have. Another unbiblical or maybe unwise goal or an unhealthy goal would be a good education. Now, there's nothing wrong with a good education. I love education. Education is great. We've got well-educated people in our church, and I'm super thankful for that. And I'm for education. But there are thousands, tens of thousands of disillusioned, unsaved, unhappy people who are very well educated. Boy, they're well educated. They can speak seven syllable words and know what they're even saying. I'm for it. I don't have a problem with it, but let me tell you, that ought not be the objective of the parent. Education is good. Get a good education. Young people, get a good education. Study, invest in yourself, get a good education. But that ought not be the goal of life. I'm the most educated person. No, there'll always be somebody more educated than you. There'll always be somebody smarter than you. There's always another Jeopardy champion. Get a good education. And then letter G, control. Some parents have no no noble goal at all. They simply want to control their kids. They want the child to mind, they want the child to behave, they want them to be nice, and they remind them of how things were when they were young. We joke about it with my dad. He, my dad did grow up very, very poor. Matter of fact, the, the plot of land that my dad grew up on just came up for sale in Borger, Texas, and, and, and I'm tempted to buy it. See, how much could you buy it for? This is not a joke. I think $125. But then it would be, I have to say, I own land in Borger, Texas. So I haven't decided if I want to cross that line. But $125. My dad grew up extremely poor. But we joke around it with him because every day was, you know, the hottest day of the year. It was 105 degrees. The wind was blowing like mad. It was snowing with two feet of snow. It was uphill both ways. And the only thing they had to eat was a piece of coal. 
And my dad used to tell us these stories, and we would laugh about them, and we'd have a good time, and, and he was just being funny and, and enjoying himself. Uh, but, but sometimes people just want to do that to control their kids. They try to do, they, they, they want to manipulate their kids. They want their kids to be perfect, little angels, and quiet, and never mess up, and, and, and they just want their kids to be in control. Can I tell you that that's not a healthy goal either? Kids are going to be kids. And when they mess up, you got to correct them. You got to help them do the right thing. You got to help them be right. But when they mess up, here's what a controlling parent does. Are you ready? You take it personally. Like they messed up because they don't like me, they messed up because they don't respect me. They messed up, and I can't believe they would do that. They're sinners. And sometimes, listen, we have to have control of our kids, right? I mean, we do. We, we do. It's a requirement. We're to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, not to provoke them to wrath. But I've seen kids that are just constantly under the thumb of their parents. And control is more directed towards personal convenience than to the development of biblical character. I want my kids to, and one of my kids to be under control as you should as well. If your kids are out of control, there's a problem. By the way, if you say to your kids, hey, come here, they ought to stop what they're doing and they ought to come there. Right then. You ought not to have to yell at them seven times. God doesn't do that. God tells us once, and if we don't do what he says, it's called disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. I told you to come. I'm gonna now you're gonna have to be punished because I'm a man under authority and God told me to do this, so now I'm punished because you diso- if I don't punish you, then I'm disobeying God. So so you're gonna be punished, but the objective is not these these little soldiers that come running up and they 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 stand and they can salute and do all this kind of stuff. I mean, if they want to, that's fine, I don't care. But but the, the point is not that we control our kids, but that our kids are controlled by biblical character and biblical principles, and we're helping them to develop. Some of the worst parents in the world are parents who have great kids, and they're bad parents because they parent from a perspective of embarrassment and shame. You won't shame this family. You won't embarrass this family. I mean, you tell your kids things like, I'm disappointed in you and I'm embarrassed by you. How do you ever get that back? When are you no longer disappointed in them? Way better to say to your kids, hey, I'm really ticked off and angry with you right now for what you did. What you did hurt our family. You said, really? yeah, because anger is measurable and temporary. You ought not say it in anger, but it would be way better. The Bible says be angry and sin not. The Bible mentions anger about 300 times in the Scripture. Only 70 times is it negative. But saying I'm really disappointed in you, how do you ever get those words back? The same is true for me. How do you ever get that back? What would it be like if Jesus said I'm disappointed in you?
Most of the time when we say we're disappointed in our kids, we're just upset because they made our life difficult. Well, Pastor, I disagree because, I mean, when if I tell my kids that, then they do what I want them to do. That is not a representation that those words are helpful or that you're in control. That's a representation that you're manipulative. When control is directed towards personal convenience as opposed to the development of biblical character, and really this comes back to motivation. Hey, I told you to sit down and be quiet because I want you to learn. I love the fact that we did this with Judith and Natalie. We want you to learn to be still and and, and just listen for the Lord. So just sit there and learn to be quiet. I think a five-year-old should be able to sit in church. I think you should be able to go to a restaurant and be able to sit next to a a four-year-old without them losing their mind. I mean, I've been to some restaurants and I watch people, and literally I've said to folks, you really need help parenting. Here's my card. Call. But what are you saying about my kid? Uh, Nothing about your kid. Your kid is fine. You're terrible. You went to college for four years to figure out how to, you know, count widgets or whatever, and you haven't spent any time developing the, uh, what it means to be a parent. Listen, it is imperative that we help our kids to develop biblical character, not control. At, at the end of the day, here's the objective, here's the goal, to train our children to live a life that pleases the Lord and to teach them to glorify Him and enjoy Him all of our days. We train our children to live a life that pleases the Lord and to teach them to glorify Him and enjoy Him all of their days. That's our objective. Judith and Natalie could tell you something very similar. What do your parents want? They want me to find joy in Jesus and do what He says. They want me to find joy in Jesus and do what He says. In doing that, as they become adults, they won't always do what I want them to do. I'm not always okay with that, but I have to be okay if they're finding joy in Jesus and doing what He says. Because Jesus may have and probably does have some different uh, wicket points for my kids than I do. I'd like to see my daughters get married and stay home and live down the street from me and their kids come over and then they cry and they go home. I would love to see that. But that may not be the case of what I get. And I'm going to be okay with that as long as they find joy in Jesus and are obedient to him. That's the objective at the end of the day. And that doesn't mean that we let our children just run amok and do what they want and and watch whatever they want, act however they want, hang out with whoever. No, no, we have to have standards and rules and all that. And we'll talk about that. And we have talked some about that. And we will continue. But we've got to get a biblical philosophy of parenting down that, that really this whole message comes down to this. Train your children to live a life that pleases the Lord and teach them to glorify Him and enjoy Him all of their life. And if you'll do that, you win. 
And if you don't, you won't. You sit there and gossip about preachers and teachers, and you complain that the auditorium was too cold or too hot, or you had to park too far away, or it's uphill both ways to the auditorium, or whatever, or the baptistry was too full, or, or uh, the interns didn't put chlorine in it this week, so it was nice and green, or they put too much chlorine in it in your eyes. If people can find anything to complain about. You do that, you're communicating something to your children that is entirely negative about the Lord. No, no, train them in the way they should go to please the Lord and teach them to glorify Him for all of their days. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.